I'd like to invite everyone to open their Bibles to the book of Proverbs today. Our journey in Proverbs brings us to Proverbs chapter 9. How do you know if you're being lied to? Uh, I don't mean like facial expressions or, you know, diverting eye glances. Like, no, I, the question I'm asking is, how do you know if what you believe is really true? I would say, like, how do I, how do I assess? The question I'm asking is, how do I assess if what I believe is true? And, and I would say a good place to start is both your ability and your willingness to look at alternative facts. So in America, we have access to alternative facts. Right? You can look up, all, you know, we have all the resources we need to look at alternative facts, but in North Korea, there is no such thing as alternative facts. They are fed one reality about life and the world, and that's all they really know what to believe and how to believe what to think about it. So, for instance, the vast majority of North Koreans, if you were to ask them, they don't wish that they were in America or any other part of the West. They don't wish that because uh, they are told that the West not only started the Korean War, but but that um, we want their way of life to end as they know it. Right? We're out to destroy their way of life. And so they're actually told that under their leader, they are free, but the West wants to make them their slaves. So they're fed this, this alternative reality. They're also told that their country is vastly superior uh, in their way of life compared to the rest of the world. Not just in terms of wealth, but in morals too. They, they believe that they are vastly superior in their morals. And they can't look up whether that's true because on the internet they only have access to 26 websites which are all government controlled. Again, nearly half of the population lives vastly below the poverty line. And even though the rest of the world sends millions of dollars worth of aid to North Korea, what they are told is that North Korea is so superior and, and excellent at negotiations that the rest of the world is just bowing to their superiority and just giving them what they have. It's hard to know if you're being lied to when you don't have alternative facts. You don't have anything else to assess this by. Which makes it all the more shameful when we in America don't do this. Really, for us, it kind of comes down to what we want to believe a lot of the time. Proverbs 9, which is where we are today, is the end of the prologue of the book of Proverbs. So we have seen this contrast that's in Proverbs chapter 9. It's the contrast between the woman folly and the woman wisdom. And, And that's been set up for us already through eight chapters. That's been set up for us. But in chapter 9, this this comes to us in a clear climax. And and in this climax, we're given two offers. One from woman folly and one from woman wisdom. And then we're presented with two responses to those offers. 
So, so two offers and two responses. Because of this, we can't claim we don't have alternative facts. Because of this, we can't claim we don't know the truth or the lie. You are now the given you are now given the truth about life, and it is now your decision what to do with it. And what it often comes down to is what you want, what you, your heart really desires to believe. So the woman wisdom and the woman folly give us two offers. And we are presented with two responses to those offers. So let's look at Proverbs chapter 9 at what I'm calling the conclusion of wisdom, the concluding call of wisdom. You can follow along in your Bibles, on your phones. It will also be on the screen. Proverbs chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn and hear. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn and hear. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. So I have a really important day coming up. Uh, April 1st will be uh, three years since I've been pastor here at Liberty. Praise God for those three years. And I, I've said this before, and I'll say it again, but if you haven't been disappointed be, by me, disappointed by me by now, you soon will be. I'm a sinner with lots of weaknesses. And one of those weaknesses, uh, that Peggy probably has, has seen more than anybody, uh, is that I'm not a fast decision maker. I like to take my time with things. And when Mallory and I first met, she will tell you that when she saw me, she knew instantly she wanted to marry me. For me, it took a while. I had to, I had to ask every question and exhaust every question. Am I being rash? Is she the one? Is she okay with being my sugar mama? And she will be for a long time. And it wasn't until I read Proverbs 18.22, he who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord, that God was basically like, just marry her, dude. You found a good one. Just do it. Stop asking all these questions. I'm tired of it. 
Obviously, marrying someone shouldn't be made rashly. It's a big decision, and, and asking questions about it is good. And, 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 it, and that's the point, right? You should think carefully about a thing like that. And that's exactly what Proverbs 9 is doing. It's giving us two offers so that we would carefully consider what is behind each one. So the first thing that I would like to do is to look at two offers. And these two offers come from the woman wisdom and the woman folly. After personifying each of these women in different ways in the last eight chapters, the son, whom Solomon is writing to, now has to stop and consider. And their two offers are actually really, really similar. So verse 4, wisdom says, Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. And then if you look down at verse 16, Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. So they both call out. They both call out in loud voices. They both call out to the simple, and they both offer sustenance. Right? So their offers, the way that they offer it is remarkably similar. But there's also very important differences that come out in subtle ways. So the first difference is that wisdom is productive while folly is stationary. Wisdom is productive while folly is stationary. Wisdom, we read in verse 1, has built her house. She's building. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She's cooking a meal. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Some commentators would say that, that wisdom here, building her house and hewing her seven pillars, has been right what we've been doing for the last eight chapters, right? She's building this foundational structure for wisdom that prepares us for the rest of Proverbs, for all these little sayings. But folly, on, on, in contrast to wisdom, is stationary. What is she doing? She's not building, she, is, she sits. Verse 14, she sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town. Now, I'm not speaking of productive versus stationary in terms of like reach, right? Because they both reach all men in all places. But I'm talking in terms of life. Output versus waste. Wisdom would have us be productive with our use of, use of time. Folly would have us wasteful with it. It's like if you've ever seen the show Chopped, right? These chefs are competing for the top spot, and what they're given are like all these strange ingredients and a limited amount of time to put together this fantastic meal for the judges to assess. Right? And the last thing you want, to be, want to do is be wasteful with your time and your ingredients. You have to use all of it to its maximum benefit. In this case, wisdom says the benefit is usefulness, productiveness. Folly says the benefit is wastefulness, being wasteful. In fact, Folly here in verses 13 and 14, right? She's sitting. She sounds a lot like the sinner 
that we read about in Psalm 1 just a little bit ago, right? Listen to the progression of the sinner's posture in Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. Sitting in mockery is the end posture of walking in sin. Sitting in mockery is the end posture of walking in sin. And this is the position folly would have you take. So productive versus stationary. The second difference is that wisdom is wholesome while folly is fractured. Look at at verse 5. Wisdom calls out, Come, whoever is simple, verse 5, Come, eat eat of my bread. And drink of the wine I have mixed. And in contrast, verse 17, folly calls out, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. The key difference here is that that folly, right? She's ma- or not folly, wisdom is making her own bread, making her own meal, while folly offers stolen water and secret bread. Now, to make more sense of what is happening, I want to look at at, at what stolen water and what secret bread mean. Stolen water, right, you you might remember this, but it likely refers to Proverbs 5, where Solomon warns of of sexual infidelity. So he says, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. And, And bread being eaten in secret refers to like a forbidden meal, right? The reason that you're eating this bread in secret is because you're not allowed to eat it. It's just, it's representative of a forbidden meal, right? I like to get fast food without telling Mallory. I'm not supposed to have fast food, and so I don't tell her I have fast food. But the idea behind this is this whole uh, reality of being wholesome versus being fractured. Being wholesome means you're not ashamed of the rest of your life being exposed because you have nothing to hide. You're whole. You're complete in every area of life. You're the same person in front of people as you are in secret. Being fractured means you try to compartmentalize your life because you try to hide and keep yourself from being exposed. This is the whole idea that Jesus is getting at in the Sermon on the Mount, right? The wholesome are the same on the inside as they are on the outside. So that while they don't commit adultery with their bodies, they also don't commit adultery with their hearts through lust. It's this idea of of wholesomeness versus being fractured. Finally, the difference is that wisdom or that the offer of wisdom is knowledge, while the offer of folly is deception. Wisdom is clear about the destination of her offer. Verse 6, leave your simple ways and live, and walk in the way of insight. Wisdom's offer is about knowing, the, the ability to see clearly, to have insight, to be able to look at actions and motives and desires and dissect them about the ability to peer into your heart and to see your own motives. And and most importantly, make judgments, right? Judgment calls based on the Word of God. 
Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Wisdom is about giving light and knowledge so that you can see clearly. Folly, on the other hand, she she hides her destination. Verse 18, but he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Folly hides her destination like one time I went camping with some friends and we drove from Hattiesburg, Mississippi to North Carolina. And it, it was nine, a nine-hour drive and it was one in the morning by the time we get to our spot, right? It's, it's pitch black and the last stretch of our trip is this winding dirt road. And, and it's the kind of dirt road where you feel like you're going to get murdered at any second, especially at one in the morning. And so we drive this thing for like 20 minutes and there's no end in sight. We had no idea where we were going. And we ended up not being able to find our destination until like 4 or 5 in the morning. Folly wants to deceive you and keep your destination hidden from you. And here's the thing. Deceived people don't know that they're deceived. Deceived people think that they're right. It's an offer of knowledge or an offer of deception. So we're presented with two offers. An offer from wisdom and an offer from folly. They're they're similar, but they're different. And now secondly, we are presented with two responses. This chapter begins and ends with the calls of wisdom and the calls of folly, right? And and sandwiched between them are these verses 7 to 12, which depict these two responses to these calls. So let's read those again. Verse 7. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is inside. For by me, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. So we have two responses, the the response of the wise and the response of the scoffer. And and one reason why they separate or or these verses are sandwiched here is is not only to illustrate the the two directions, right, that we're being pulled, but to emphasize their importance. Because, take note of this, your response is one of these two. Your response to these calls will be one of these two. There's not a middle option. So let's take a look at the scoffer. uh, Respond to the scoffer. The first attitude of a scoffer is that they are uncorrectable. Uncorrectable. The scoffer, right, when they are, 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 when someone tries to correct the scoffer, what happens? They become self defensive and they actually will actually turn on you and put the hurt on you that they perceive you are causing them 
That's what he means if he says, if you correct a scoffer, you get abuse, right? A, a, a scoffer will turn that right back on you. All of us, right, are guilty of this at some point. We become stubbornly unmovable, right? I, sometimes I get like this if I'm losing an argument, and I so bad don't want to lose the argument that I'll dig my feet in deeper in my position even though I know I'm wrong. We must be aware of being uncorrectable. We've got to be aware when we can't accept criticism. Or, or when we can't honestly admit, I'm wrong. We've got to be aware when we become self-defensive or angry, when, when we blame shift or, or name call, whatever we can do to avoid correction. That's the attitude of the scoffer. He's uncorrectable. The second attitude of the scoffer is that they are resentful. What does it say? Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. The scoffer holds grudges. The scoffer is tight-fisted with grace. The scoffer holds on to forgiveness. The scoffer is always harder on others than they are on themselves. So the scoffer is uncorrectable. They are resentful. And, and lastly, they are unreflective. The scoffer exhibits all of these attitudes and all these actions and doesn't stop to think about the red flags and the warning signs. There's no pause to think of on self-reflection in almost every natural disaster at least for the past two decades some portion of the damage that is done is due to the fact that officials ignore warning signs right even the recent like power outage in texas one reason why i'm glad i don't live in texas right is because the the signs that that showed that the system was flawed were ignored and so they had this huge crisis on their hands. They ignored the warning signs. And usually from companies and corporations, you won't find much contrition either. It's the same with scoffers. They ignore the warning signs. They ignore the, the red flags. And when the consequences do come, they aren't reflective enough to own up to their own mistakes and failures. Proverbs 19 says, A man's own folly ruins his life, yet his heart rages against the Lord. So this is, this is a response of the scoffer. And then, there's the response of the wise. The first attitude uh, of the response of the wise, opposite, right, the scoffer, is that they are inviting they're inviting. Look at verse uh, 9. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be wiser. Still be, be still wiser. Teach a righteous man. He will increase in learning. Uh, our goal should always be to be a lifelong learner. Right? To always, in, in every area of life, say, I need to grow. I need to grow. One of the most important traits that you can, for anybody, but especially that employers look for, is someone who's teachable. 
to be open to correction, to consider the possibility you might be wrong. To know that even if you are right, you can still grow in that position. The, the wise take even unfair criticism and use it to their advantage and try to gain some truth from it and grow from the most unfair insults and correction. The wise invite correction. Now you're probably already there, but this it takes the second attitude of the wise is that they are humble. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. It takes humility to be open to correction because you know you might be or very likely are wrong. It takes humility to admit you've been wrong because to admit you've been wrong is embarrassing. Especially if it's done in front of other people. The reason it takes humility to forgive is because when you forgive someone, right, you're absorbing the hurt and the pain and the cost on yourself rather than dishing it back out to the other person. Forgiveness is, is costly. So the attitude of the wise are that they are uh, inviting, they are humble, and lastly, the wise are meditative. Meditative. The wise reflect on their actions and words and motives. They demand answers of themselves more than they demand answers from other people. They ask, why do I feel this way? Why do I feel the need to be so defensive right here? What am I trying to protect? Most importantly, they meditate on God's Word and, and, and meditate on how their hearts and lives align to it or deviate from it. Right? If, if you at all like watch your retirement plans, you have to watch it carefully to make sure that however you have your assets allocated or what your target is, you have to be sure you go in and you correct it so that you can reach your target the Word of God is meant to make us meditate on whether we are on target or not. Whether we are missing the point or not. I don't know if, if you kind of notice in the way that he writes, but both of these responses are compounding. Right? So the wise, the more that you respond with wisdom, the more you will respond with wisdom in the future. But the more that you respond with the scoffer, the more you'll be hardened and become more and more the scoffer. So these are the two responses. The one of the scoffer and the one of the wise. And right this moment, when you leave these doors today, you are making one response or the other. Did you notice verse 10? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. That's not the first time that we've read that. In fact, that takes us all the way back to chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So Solomon's last charge to his son is that wisdom begins and ends with the Lord. 
And to respond to wisdom is to respond to God. To ignore wisdom is to ignore and turn your back on God. So this is your decision. The choice lies with you now. You are offered life or death. You have the alternative facts, right? You can choose to stay in North Korea or you can choose to leave. The answer should seem simple. I mean, who would not choose life? The problem is that every single one of this room have messed up and jacked up hearts. And that for every choice we've been given, we would choose death and folly every time. Because we love sin. We love sin to our own deaths. Your heart is desperately sick. Desperately sick. And there is nothing you can do to change it. Try to Try to just repent of all your sin. It's impossible. You can't. Cry out to Christ. The one who changes hearts. Cast your helplessness, your hopeless heart, your helpless folly and your sin on him because he delights to be the savior of poor, wretched, foolish sinners. That's the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is to say, I have no wisdom in myself at all. I, Lord, I, I want to choose wisdom, but my heart always pulls me to folly. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Christ is that answer. Christ is your answer, but don't let your folly keep you from him. Christ is yours if only you will call out to him today. He calls out to you. He gives you this offer and the choice that we have is to accept it, to cry out to him, to respond to him or to ignore him. The choice is now yours. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the beginning and the end of wisdom. And any hope of living in wisdom begins with you. Lord, we are desperately sick with sin. Lord, we can see all the consequences of our sin. We can see that it leads to death and judgment and condemnation and even an eternity apart from you in hell and still choose sin. We are desperately sick. But Lord Jesus, we praise you because you are the Savior of desperately sick sinners. The Savior of those who realize they have nothing in themselves. Lord, we are sick and the cure is grace and we praise you that you are a fountain of grace and mercy. So this morning, Lord, in response to your word, we pray, Lord, we want to walk in the way of wisdom. 
We want to walk in, in correction and in, in teachableness. Lord, we want to walk in humility. We want to, to walk in reflection and, and meditating on Your Word. Lord, we want this. And we need Your help, Your grace desperately to do it. And You are a God who delivers. So Lord, help us all to respond correctly to Your Word in repentance and faith. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's all stand, please, as we sing our song of response, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. Why should we gain from what you have done? You're the one who accomplished all things. You're the one who defeated death. You're the one who submitted perfectly to the Father. Why should we gain from your reward? We don't have an answer. But this we know with all our hearts. Your wounds have paid our ransom. 
where we are righteous in You, free in You. We have grace and mercy and all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's ours. It's ours to access. So Lord Jesus, by Your Spirit, help us to walk in the way of wisdom. To give us right seeing that we would flee from sin, flee from scoffing, and run to you, the beginning and the end of wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen.